You know, Jesus Christ used the words, I am, when they came looking for him, and those words pushed the men back. This is stunning. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hemmer. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. We're in the New Testament now, and we're looking at John chapter 18. This is going to be fascinating today as we study it. We'll be talking about that in about two minutes' time. Corey and Ryan are here. Corey? Today I'm taking a look at the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate. Ryan? Today we read about Jesus' death by crucifixion, but have you ever wondered why Jesus had to die in this manner? Yeah, that's a really good question, and uh, it's fascinating looking at the crucifixion story and all of that. Thank you, Ryan. We'll be talking about that in about 7, 15 minutes. Janice? Yeah, in the garden today. All right, so take your Bible guide out and let's open it up and discover what God is saying in John chapter 18. John 18, 1 through 11. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples over the brook Kidron, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. And Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. Then Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. Now when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Then he asked them again, Whom are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their way, that the saying might be fulfilled which he spoke, Of those whom you gave me, I have lost none. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into the sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? John chapter 18, verses 1 through 11. John chapter 18 and chapter 19 is what we study today. It's very interesting. You know, I find the accounts of the arrest of Jesus to be really interesting. I mean, Consider Jesus as he was praying in the garden with his disciples. I mean, he knew that Judas, an armed group of soldiers and temple guards sent by the chief priests and the Pharisees, would arrive to confront him. When Jesus asked who they were looking for, the soldiers named Jesus of Nazareth as the target. Now, intriguingly, it was this confession, I am he that caused something to knock them down and backwards, take them right off their feet. We also have Jesus healing the servant of the high priest after Peter cut off his ear with a sword. 
Peter was trying to be a good disciple by protecting Christ, but he wasn't properly representing the will of God here. Jesus correcting this mistake by healing even his enemy is remarkable. Jesus knew his task. He was on his way to pay the cost of sin, to submit to the religious tyranny of the day. But he also knew that this was not the end. In fact, Jesus kind of knew that this was the beginning. Fascinating. I'll tell you, it, it is really interesting as we study this. Take your Bible guide and turn to it. John chapter 18 is really interesting. And these next two days are going to be fascinating. Today we're going to be talking about the confrontation, John 18, 1 through 11. Take your Bible guide and turn to it. If you don't have a Bible guide, I want to encourage you to write to us or call to us and get a hold of one so you can read and understand the Bible as well. But let's pray today and ask the Lord to speak to our hearts about what he's saying. Father, I pray today in the name of Jesus Christ, as we read your word, that you would help your word to change our hearts. You know, we need to be listening to you. We need to hear you. And Father, we don't need to put our opinions in here. So help us to change according to your perfect will. In the name of Jesus Christ. And we said together, amen and amen. Now, let's look at this carefully because this is really important. Here's the scripture. John chapter 18, verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words... He went out with his disciples over the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. And Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place for Jesus often met there with his disciples. It was a frequent thing. Verse 3. Then Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priest and the Pharisees, came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Weapons! And Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth! And Jesus said to them, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. Now, when he said, I am he. Watch this. They drew back and fell to the ground. <laughs> this is fascinating. Jesus' words, I am he, caused the men to fall backwards on the ground. You see, God's word is powerful. It can't be stopped. Now, there are some who are taking God's word and they're rewriting it. God's word cannot be stopped. There are some people like the Wycliffe Bible translators, for example, who have spent a great deal of energy in the last hundred years, maybe more, translating the Bible word for word. And those people, I want to say thank you to the Wycliffe translators. They are awesome. You are awesome. They don't get any proper recognition or anything else, but let me tell you something. That's so important because today there's no way to fake the Bible. You can try to rewrite it, but there's too many of them out there. It's the most published book in the world. And God said, I am he. And they fell backwards. His word just 
they fell backwards. It was incredible. We've got to read on. John chapter 18, verse 7, here's what it says. Then he asked them again, who are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their way. That the saying may be fulfilled, which he spoke of those whom you gave me, Lord, I have lost none. Jesus made sure his disciples were released from his arrest. God provided Jesus Christ as the only way we can confront our sin. It wasn't Peter. It wasn't Paul. It wasn't Matthew. It wasn't anybody else. It was simply Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man. He was the son, the only begotten son of God who died and rose again, paid the cost of sin. It is through him only. John 14. I am the way, the truth, and life, Jesus said. No man comes to the Father except through me. It is only through Jesus Christ that we can be acceptable to God. Have you done that today? Have you made your life acceptable to Jesus Christ today? It's a good question. We'll come back to that. John chapter 18, verse 10. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, and cut off his right ear. And the servant's name was Malachus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into the sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? Jesus healed Malachus with everything Jesus did. He was fulfilling the will of God. Beloved, listen carefully. We must follow and trust in the Lord, not act on our own emotion. Very hard for someone like me not to act on my own emotion. When we say to you, have you come to Christ? Don't act on emotion. Think about this. We are all sinners. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And there's no one who can be saved. We're, we're all destined for the eternal damnation. It's incredible. But God so loved the world that he came into the world that it might be won by him. He is not willing that any perish. If we believe in him to take the cost of our sin and make us right, make him Lord of our life today, we will be saved. So my question is, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? Pray with me. Father, I come to you. Forgive me of my sin. You paid the cost and died on the cross but you rose again in the flesh on the third day. Be the Lord of my life. Help me to understand you in Jesus' name. Amen. Simple prayer. Simple prayer. Profound, life-changing difference, but a simple prayer. That's exactly how God designed it, exactly how God made it, and that's exactly what each of us need to do. So I encourage you today, pray that prayer Come to Jesus Christ and know him. And it will change the way your motivations are and the way things in your life articulate. And I want to say that Jesus will change you. Hi, Rod Hembry. We go through the Bible in one year. It's exciting. It's great. And you can join us by searching Bible Discovery TV on your phone. That's right, on your phone, your iPhone, or your Android phone. 
And when you do so, you'll find the app. You can download the app and watch it anytime you want. Never miss a program right here on Bible Discovery TV. We'll see you there. So in the last few days here on Bible Discovery, you and I have gone through uh, the Herods, right? That starts with King Herod the Great. And then when Herod the Great passes away, we have three of his sons splitting up his territory. And we know that, uh, you know, one son, Herod Antipas, he had control of Galilee and Korea for quite a long time, like beyond Jesus's crucifixion. He shows up in the gospel accounts as wanting to hear Jesus and then kind of being disgusted by him when Jesus won't perform a miracle. He's not who Antipas expected. But we know that uh, one of the sons of Herod did not hold on to his territory for the entirety of Jesus's life. Uh, Herod Archelaus lost his territory for a few reasons and a Roman governor came in to uh, look after Jerusalem and, and a, a big chunk of Judea. So this is the role of Pontius Pilate. He wasn't the first governor, but he, he was the governor at the time period of Jesus's crucifixion. And so because the religious leaders wanted to execute Jesus, they did not have that authority. So they needed to hand him over to the Roman governor of that area who did have the ability to execute. So let's take a look at Pontius Pilate, this Roman governor, and see what we can learn about him through history and Roman history. The man Pontius Pilate comes down to us through history in a few different ways. The New Testament, historians Josephus and Philo of Alexandria, and an inscription discovered in Pilate's Judean home, Caesarea. These histories tell us a few common facts about Pilate, that he was the governor or prefect of Judea, which was a Roman province that encapsulated the ancient land of Israel, and that he condemned Jesus to death by crucifixion. The Bible doesn't have much to add on the character of Pontius Pilate. Some Christians of history have attempted to exonerate him for this cruelty by noting his seeming indifference, the washing of his hands, and his offer to release a criminal, but these are not glowing reviews by the Bible's authors. In the end, Pilate willingly authorized the execution of a man he thought was innocent of a capital crime. Josephus and Philo add a bit more to our knowledge. Philo claims that Pilate was inflexible, stubborn, and cruel in disposition. And together, the historians record two major conflicts he's said to have had with the Jews. First, Pilate attempted to bring golden shields with idolatrous images on them into Jerusalem. To the Jews, it was altogether inappropriate to have idolatrous images in the same city that housed God's temple. So the faithful traveled to Pilate's palace in Caesarea, and when threatened with death, they exposed their necks, preferring death over the defilement of Jerusalem. Pilate, in this case, backed down. He spared their lives and removed the standards. The other incident recorded is how Pilate used money from the temple treasury to complete an aqueduct in Jerusalem. The people caught wind and began to protest, so Pilate sent his guards out in plain clothes among the people with instructions to use non-deadly force. But the situation became a bloodbath with the soldiers killing many. Modern historians have theorized that Pilate had a working relationship with Caiaphas the high priest, noting how Caiaphas alone controlled the temple's money and that Josephus does not say anything about him being coerced. 
It's worth noting that while Philo and Josephus seem to speak negatively of Pilate's character, there were only two major conflicts that happened during his long rule as governor. So there we go, a bit of a brief historical biography on Pontius Pilate. You know, there's a lot of uh, history about Pontius Pilate. Um, and it's not in the Bible, but it's just fascinating how his life seems to have ended in tragedy. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, his, his wife told him, you know, don't have anything to do with this man and everything else, Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And he tried to free him, but they said to him, crucify him, crucify him. So he turned him over to be crucified. Yeah, we get this. We get this really interesting picture of a pilot who seems to be both disgusted with the people that he's ruling over in Judea, and yet at the same time not wanting to draw too much attention to himself from Rome, because we know that, uh, you know, in other instances, it would be very easy for a Roman governor like that to be pulled to Rome and executed if they're not doing a great job or. Uh, or some, not good things happened to people who weren't able to control their territories. Because so. the empire was very violent. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we have to keep that in mind. And Paul writes to the church at Rome. We'll get into that later, but it's just really interesting. Thank you, Corey. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Ryan. Okay, so today we read about Jesus's death by crucifixion, which was an absolutely horrific form of death. Now, this fulfilled Old Testament prophecies like Psalm 22.16, Isaiah 53.5, as well as Zechariah 12.10, which all describe the Messiah being pierced. But have you ever wondered why Jesus was made to die in this particular manner? Was it just because this was the form of execution in Jesus' day? Or is there more to it? Isaiah 53, which is undoubtedly the most controversial passage in Judaism, contains some of the most stunning prophecies about the Messiah. For example, regarding this Savior, Isaiah 53.5 declares, But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. This, combined with all the other messianic prophecies, was only fulfilled in Jesus of Nazareth, who was pierced through a horrible form of execution known as crucifixion. Amazingly, this Isaiah prophecy was recorded more than 700 years before Jesus was born, and has caused some to wonder why he was destined to be executed in this manner. Was it merely because this was the method of execution in Jesus' day? Rabbi Jason Sobel believes that something as important as the death of God's Son would not be based solely on Rome's proclivity for a brutal means of execution. So what then? Well, to answer this question, we need to understand that through his perfect sacrifice, Jesus was reversing the effects of the curse by taking our sin and the punishment for that sin upon himself. And part of that seems to have also been bearing the physical aspects of it, since virtually every element involved in Christ's crucifixion can be connected to the curse. For example, why did Jesus have to die on a cross, which is also called a tree in scripture? Could it be that since a tree caused the fall, the Son of God also had to die in a tree, as the second Adam, to reverse the curse caused by the sin of the first man and woman? If so, it also follows that because it was our hands that stole from the tree, Jesus' hands also had to be pierced. And his feet were pierced to fulfill the prophecy of Genesis 3.15, that the Savior's heel would be struck, but in turn the head of the serpent would be crushed. And Jesus' pierced side may have made atonement for the sin of Eve, the one taken from man's side, who led Adam into temptation. 
Also highly significant is the crown of thorns. By wearing thorns, Jesus was literally bearing the physical sign of the curse. But this isn't the first time he appeared with thorns. When the Lord first revealed himself to Moses in the desert of Midian, he came in a burning bush, or more specifically in Hebrew, a burning thorn bush. Clearly, God identifies with our pain and has a plan of deliverance. At that time, God sent Moses with staff in hand as that deliverer to perform miraculous signs. But God also promised that there would arise another deliverer even greater than Moses. The rod which the Roman soldiers mockingly placed in Jesus' hand during his scourging may then be a physical sign that identifies him as that greater deliverer, none other than the Savior of the world. So when Jesus reversed the curse by becoming sin for us and bearing our punishment on that cross, it seems he was also bearing physical aspects of that curse. It's really important for us to remember. I was reading my devotions this morning um, in this chapter, and I realized that uh, I just broke down with emotion because of the physical trauma that Jesus Christ went through. And, uh, you know, there's no way you can explain it except... Yeah. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, you know, God that's did right. that yeah. for us. Absolutely stunning. Mm -hmm. Very good, Ryan. Thank you so much. Janice? Yeah, I'm looking at John chapter 18 as well today. In the garden, I titled it, you know, there's a beautiful old hymn, I Come to the Garden Alone. And it's, it's beautiful. I'm not going to sing it today, but um, it's a lovely song. It reminded me of the blessing that it is as a, as a child of God to meet with God every day. And it's so important that we set that time um, to do that. And this whole scene of the betrayal and the arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane is really quite something. And it makes me think, how will we meet with Jesus? We see here, it says that um, uh, he went out with his disciples over the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. And they came with Jesus. They didn't know what was going to happen. Jesus did. Jesus knows what was going to take place. He knew the future. He knew why he had come. Um, and then it says, and Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So his disciples, Jesus' disciples, were coming with him to a familiar place, a familiar place to gather together with Jesus. Judas, on the other hand, came with a troop. It says, then Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came there. And they didn't just come there as a mob. They came with lanterns and torches and weapons. This is to the one that preached and healed and touched people and changed people's lives. And, and it says in verse 4, Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, whom are you seeking? We see this whole scene take place in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus' disciples gathering in a place that they were used to meeting with Jesus. Often they came here to pray. Often they came here to ask Jesus questions after being with the multitudes so they could have that personal time away to ask him, uh, to be trained by him, to understand what it was that he was teaching and, and saying and the reasons why he did the things that he did. And yet you have this one who would be his betrayer come 
to that same place to meet with Jesus in a very different way. We see in John 18 by verses 10 and 11, Peter, this this man, this disciple who was always like a raw nerve all the time. Peter was always responding in his emotion and, and, and many times not correctly. And Jesus would have to correct him sometimes gently, sometimes not. And, and of course, you know, Simon is getting upset and it says, then Simon Peter having a sword drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. And the servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to, P- to Peter, put your sword into the sheath, put it away. Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? And Peter, he's thinking, you know, Rod, I've got to defend the Lord here. I, am I the only one that's going to defend him? Here comes Judas. He's betraying him. He's given him this, basically this kiss of death, you know. And I look at that and I think, gracious, there's so much that we could go into here, isn't there? Because I think in, in my personality, even though I might be smaller and I might seem kind of shy sometimes, Rod, you know that I can get feisty. And, and, and in the same situation, I may have done the same. I may have just lost it in that moment. And, and I think it's just so, um, it, it's something for us to look to when he takes this sword and he cuts off the right ear of this servant. And I think sometimes, you know, you know, Rod, when, when the scripture talks about the armor of God and the word of God is the sword, the sword of the spirit is the word of God. And I think, you know, unless we know the word of God and know how to use that word of God, we can actually do damage. This sword, if we want to talk about it figuratively, we can talk about Peter's sword being pulled out and used as a weapon wrongly. It cut off the ear of this, the high priest's servant, but Jesus took the opportunity to put that ear back on. It's only Luke that records the healing of this ear. But Jesus said, if you have an ear to hear, you need to hear this. We need to use the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, rightfully, dividing it properly. The only way for us to know it properly is to learn it, to read it, to get it in our heart and follow the Lord Jesus. Well, we are on YouTube and Facebook every day in a video on demand format. We've been there for years and I want to tell you about it because just in case you miss something, go on vacation, do something else and you need to get to us, just go to the internet, YouTube and Facebook and you can find us. You can also find us on BibleDiscoveryTV.com. Let's pray today. Lord, help us all to make decisions that are right because there's a lot of decisions that people are making that are not.